Um, Father, thank you uh, that we can gather, worship you, that we can celebrate the season of Jesus' birth 2,000 years later, remarkable, and it's still just as meaningful today as it was then. God, I pray that you would make yourself more prominent, real in each one of our lives. God, give us uh, attentive hearts and ears. Anoint my words as I speak so that it, um, it brings life, so that it brings life. Jesus, I pray that you'd allow people to hear what your message is this morning to each person. And I love that you make it personal, even though we're together as a group, that every message is particular to the heart and need. And we just ask that you'd meet us in those places. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to go ahead and uh, go through the, the, more of the tenets of who Jesus is. And now last week, you'll remember that we talked about the humanity and the deity of Jesus. And like Jesus was fully man. He was also fully what? He's fully God. Now, I know that we had a really like touchy moment in the worship service. That means I got to spend a little time waking you all up because you're all like hugging Jesus right now. I know how this goes. I've been ministering a long enough time to know that when people get quiet with the Lord, it's a good thing. But then you don't pay attention to me for the next five minutes. So I just and I, I want to make sure you're paying attention. So in this Christmas season, we want to talk about the humanity of Jesus in the deity of Jesus, we covered this last week, that Jesus was fully man and he was fully God. And, and those are important attributes. You know, we just finished the study in Colossians. And in Colossians, Gnosticism was one of the prominent heresies. And that heresy said that Jesus didn't really exist. That was one of the, the frailties, many of them, of that particular her heresy. So did Jesus really exist? The answer is yes. As a human, he came, he lived, he grew up, he faced like I shared this with you last week that he faced some of the same struggles you and I face. You're like, Jesus was tempted. Yes, but without sin. See, the distinction of him being the, the last Adam overcoming sin is so powerful for each one of our lives. And he was also fully God. Like he said, like I could call down legions of angels. But my father has a plan. I'm going to follow his plan. Jesus could have done anything he wanted, but even he demonstrated surrender in walking with God in that way. So did Jesus really become a man? Listen, some things that you should be aware of, like if you're interacting with Muslims, the reason that Muslims have an issue with Jesus being God is because God cannot be a man. That's their issue. You know, I was sitting with a, a gentleman who owns a, a bagel shop that's actually remarkably good. It's on Foothill and Archibald. It, it's it's shameless plug. It's called New York Bagel, but it's really good. And his name's Jamil, and we were talking, and we had this really long conversation. He just said, he said, I think Jesus was a great prophet. I just, I, he, God can't be a man. Well, that that is a distinct aspect of who Jesus was that denies who he actually came to be. So it's now, now that's just one. Now, if you talk to Jews, and when I was Israel, in Israel, I had this conversation because the, the tour guides are all Jewish and they're remarkably intelligent. If I'm honest with you, they know the Bible better than most Christians do. Like I was with a group of pastors and our tour guide was roasting us because he knew more than us. It was embarrassing. But you know their issue with Jesus being God? It's simply this, that he called himself God. They said, we just can't roll with that. We can't believe in him because he called himself God. 
So those are just two of the things. Now, are these important tenets of who Jesus is, that he is fully man and fully God, 100%. Listen, if you're a believer, these are important values of who Christ is. I shared this with you when we did Colossians. I'll say it this morning. Anytime you make Jesus less than who he professed himself to be, you're on the verge of being cultish in your belief. Every cult makes Jesus something other than who he actually was. So that said, in, in Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to read verse 6 and 7. We'll read the whole thing, and then I'll, I'll talk through some of the talking points. But if you have your Bibles, you can open. If not, you can jump in on the screen. So let's go ahead and jump in Isaiah 9, uh, verse 6. It says, For a child will be born to us, and a son will be given to us. And, and I'm sorry, and my little tassel's in the middle of my reading, so I can't see it. Okay, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There'll be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So the first part of this we've already talked about. A child is born speaks of the humanity of Jesus. A son is given speaks of the deity of Jesus. Now this week what I want to focus on are some of these other attributes of who Jesus was. Now it says that the government will rest on his shoulders. Now government, this is literally like rule. It's dominion. It's literally the governmental system. Now in our culture, I got a question for you. Is government good or bad? Good, bad. Yeah, see, I got mixed opinions. Okay, so, so let me give you the, the biblical answer is government, all authority is orchestrated by God. So it's good, the orchestration of it. But is all government honoring God? No, clearly not. You know, and, and in our culture, like if we look at the, the chasm between being a Democrat and a Republican, those are the, the two primary expressions in our country of political form. We just go like, man, there's no agreement at all. And, and pretty much the, like this is just Pastor James. So this is just Pastor James moment. OK, um, Jesus ain't done with me. Say Jesus ain't done with me. How can you go into an office to serve people and come out so stinking rich? Okay, I'm done. Okay, that, that was free. That was free. That was just a question. I, I'm still looking for the answer. So in our culture, we look at government, we think for the most part, it's shifty at best. Like we know God is in it. We know God orchestrated it, but we also know man is in it. And man has a problem. What's it called? Greed, sin. We got sin going on. So anytime you get somebody in power, it seems like they manipulate that power. So it's hard for us to trust government. But this is what God says. The government is going to rest on his shoulders. I mean, like, I don't know. That's quite the powerful exchange when I think about it. So Isaiah is stating this. Jesus's kingdom, his government, his rule, his reign, his authority will never be shaken like we see it of the kingdoms of men. So there's an absoluteness to the government of God now, all governments mean they govern something, right? You're ruling over, you have dominion over something. What does God have dominion over? Everything. <sighs> exactly. Well, then why does he allow all this craziness to happen, Pastor? I don't know. That's God's like, that's above my pay grade, if I'm honest. It really is. Other than he gave man a will. He gives us a choice. He still orchestrates his kingdom in the midst of the kingdoms of men. And he says, and if you'll walk in mine, 
you'll have a government that has absolute authority and it'll rest on my shoulders, not on man's. So that's part of the promise of Jesus coming. Like we have two kingdoms. They're running concurrently. It's the kingdom of God and then the kingdom of this world. And those two kingdoms are going. And the government of man exists over the kingdoms of the world. And the government of God exists over the kingdoms of everything. Now, it's wild how God does that. But he said Jesus coming in the world would be one of the illustrations that God, the Messiah, has come. So what about laws? Are laws good or bad? They're good. Until you get a ticket, right? Then they're bad, right? Isn't that, isn't that kind of how it goes? The lights turn on behind you like, oh, I hate rules. This law is killing me because it's going to cost you money. So the world would say that rules like we get to make our own rules, right? So again, we're talking about government, God, Jesus coming, establishing a rule. Now, now the world will say this, like, so let's look at a couple of rules that God thinks are important. Like, let's talk about just a second. How about marriage? Marriage. Is this on, on trial right now in our culture? Yeah. One man, one woman, forever. Like, I remember when marriage started to become very disposable, we watched the, the like, divorce rate go through the roof, right? And by the way, if you've been divorced, not throwing stones, God is a redeemer. He heals. He restores. This is not a statement of your life, just a statement of the fact that sin impacts when we don't follow God's laws. Now, listen, when you watch the ripple effects of all of that divorce that happened in the last 20, 30 years, whatever, you watch identity crisis in children because they didn't have what God had orchestrated, his rule in the family unit. And then you watch and you go, oh, man, now you've got kids going sideways and boys thinking they're girls. You gotta, it's open game, isn't it? And then you look at the country goes, okay, now we need to make laws that regulate how we actually live today. Are those laws good? By the way, your president is pushing really hard for a, an act. Do you guys know that? He's like trying to change the whole statement of marriage and what it means. You should, you should be aware of that because they're pushing it through. That, that, like I said, I said 10 years ago in this pulpit, okay, I said 10 years ago, the day will come where they will try to force me to marry man and man, woman, woman, or some other concoction, right? Some other concoction. And I said, when that day comes, I, I either won't be a pastor or we'll do something to get around it because I'm not going to do that because it violates God's law. Remember, there, there's laws, so not all laws are bad. What about when the Bible talks about generosity? Is generosity good or bad? But people are selfish, aren't they? Like they can't, they can be, right? See, generosity, the, the Bible asks us to serve other people with, with our time and our talents, our resources. You know, is this a good thing overall for society? Acts of generosity, is it good? I, I think it's good, especially when I'm receiving it. Amen, no, I'm playing. But it's true. Watch, I read a study and it said this, that acts of generosity, such as giving your time, your talent, and your resources, and expecting nothing in return, have been proven to be good for your health. How many of you guys want to be healthy? Serve people. That's, that's actually what it just said. By the way, the Bible said that a long time ago. If you serve people, you'll have a fruitful, fulfilled life. It'll be nourishment to your bones, won't it? That, that's what it says. It, it goes on, and you'll be personally more fulfilled. You'll be happier. You'll be more peaceful within yourself. Like, purpose. That's what that's about. Not to mention you'll be more productive at home and in your workplace. You know, you know, like when you're serving other people, it makes you happy and productive in other areas. 
this is a study. This isn't my opinion. This is a worldly study. It's not a Christian study. It says, in fact, as reported by the recent study by the University of California, which is way secular, generous individuals live a longer, healthier life. So how many of you guys want to live a long, healthy life? Come on. Serve people. That's what it just said. Now, now going back to marriage, here's a study on marriage. In a culture that permits men to take multiple wives, the intrasexual competition that occurs causes greater levels of crime, violence, poverty, gender inequality. The societies that institute this practice, other than monogamous marriages, suffer from these things. That's crazy. But the world would say, who cares? Do it to see there's a law out there that the world says that's not God's law. So when we talk about the government of God, the rule of God, that was Jesus saying, I want to reiterate and reestablish that God's values never change. Somebody say amen. amen. They never go away. See, anytime I'm walking with people, I'm trying to help them grow as a pastor. I, I always say stuff like this. They'll, they'll go like, man, pastor, I read my Bible and I show up to church like most Sundays. Some Sundays I try, I try to do good. I always say this. The next step in your journey is serve. You need to serve. They go, oh, well, I make dinner for my mom and my daddy every night. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Not talking about doing life. I'm talking about giving away to other people that are not immediately in your sphere. What, watch, what do I mean? I, and Vicki will love me. I don't know if Vicki's in the room or serving kids this morning. Children's ministry, we need people to serve the kids. It's very simple. So some of you are sitting in the room, you're like, yeah, but that means I'd be out of here on Sunday. According to the study, you'll have a healthier, happier life. I'm <laughs> just saying. By the way, according to God, you'll have a healthier, happier life. So you just need to say yes. God nudges, pokes on you. And, and I understand it goes in windows sometimes. I get all of that stuff. But I do know this. You want to be great in the kingdom of God, you become the servant of men. So important for us. Give your life away. You'll be surprised what God gives you back in return. It's very powerful. See, but that's part of God being the, the governing body over everything. So to finish the thought on government, if we could have a political figure who was not corrupt, gaining, would that be a good thing? The answer is yes. Jesus. That's why you lean into his rule, his reign, his governing. You know, it, it, he doesn't try to benefit from us. This is what's amazing about God. When we press into his government, we benefit from it. He doesn't benefit from it. But natural man's govern, government, they press into us, they benefit from it. Listen, I'm all for government, so you guys understand. This is not an anti-establishment discussion. This is a kingdom of God versus a kingdom of the world discussion for me. I understand it 100%. But when we step into that and we trust what God has set up, then we walk in the freedom and the fullness of it. He goes on now in verse 6 and he says, And his name will be called Wonderful Counsel. Now, I shared this with you last week. Anytime you see God mentioning name in reference to himself, or anything biblical for that matter, name and character, name and nature, they're always what? They're connected. They're inseparable. That's why when Moses said, who should I say sent me? He said, I am that I am, which was literally this. I was, I am, and I will be. I don't know. Like, in other words, God answered Moses by saying, I be. I don't know. It doesn't sound like a great answer to me, but they understood what it meant. I always am. I'm the eternal existing one. They understood it to be that very thing. <clears throat> so 
When we're talking about this wonderful counselor thing, wonderful means marvelous, listen, or extraordinary. Have you ever thought about how God moves in our hearts? Is it extraordinary? It really is. It's extraordinary. That's what extraordinary means. It's above the ordinary. I, I love that about God. And it says that he's a counselor, one who gives direction, purpose, maps out a plan. He gives you advice. You know, I do a lot of counseling. I have over the years as a pastor, I do a lot of counseling. I, I like to think I'm pretty good at it. I don't know how good I am. Maybe I should talk to some of the counselees. But, but I, I, I've tried to develop the ability to take somebody's journey, their pain, and the word of God and connect those two things to help them understand what they're facing. And here's a better way. Like, we think this is so valuable in our church. We have shepherd staff. So we have a whole bunch of people who went through training. So they can sit with you and do the exact same thing. Take the word of God, the circumstance of your life, weave them together and help you walk more deeply with God. But Jesus says of himself, he's a wonderful counselor. Now, now I think this, man, that's, that's amazing. But when I think wonderful counselor, like I give people that, you know what I don't have the power to do? To make them do it. You know, that's the gap between me and Jesus. Like, we think Jesus is a wonderful counsel. Well, I'm giving you his counsel, so I like to think it's pretty good. But at the end of the day, Jesus is the one who strengthens and empowers you to walk in that counsel. You ever had God give you counsel? How many in the room have had God give you counsel? It's called like you're listening to a sermon and it, it like you're like, ooh, that's pretty good. He's talking to me right now. I love those moments when I listen to a, like I listened to a sermon this week. It was so good. I took notes. Like, I'm serious. I took notes and then I came into staff meeting and I shared it as a devotional. And then I said this, God gave that to me. No, I didn't. I, I, I actually gave credit where credit was due. But, but I did share it because it was so powerful for me that I felt like it should be shared with others so that they get the idea of walking in faith and how God speaks to us at all levels, all journeys, no matter who you are. You can be one day old and listen, if I'm honest, if I'm really honest, tell me if this didn't happen to you, did God talk to you before you were even his? Man, he was always knocking on my heart. I would, like he would send people into my life to tell me about Jesus and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, you sound like my sister. My sister's probably watching right now, Jojo. Like Jojo and I were like partners in crime. She's a sister that's just older than me. We did stupidity together, all kinds of dumb things together. And, and she got saved like maybe a year before me or something like that. And she would always like, hey, come to church. And I go to church. And I'm like, oh, it's terrible. This music's terrible. I remember thinking that. And then we have this morning and I'm on my knees over on the side, just like, God, you're so glorious. Because there's exchanges. But God was talking to me the entire time, saying stuff like this, I love you, I want your life. I I listen, he still says that to me today. 35 years, like in, in two weeks, I will have been saved 35 years. 35, that, that's a long time. That's older than some of you in the room, and it's only about half as old as others of you, but I'm just saying, that's a long time. And I just think, man, over and over, he still keeps telling me, you're mine, I love you. You belong to me, not because you're a pastor, because you're my kid. I love when he does that with me. Do he do that with you guys? See, that is part of how God gets into your world. He's wonderful. He's a counselor. Like, again, we believe in these principles so much that we lay it all over the place. But Jesus is the one who possesses the power to actually change alongside the counsel. So we can give you the nuggets and then God steps in and he 
marvelous, marvelously empowers you to do it. You know, you guys remember last spring my car broke down. It caught on fire at the gas station at, at Costco. That was fun. Anyway, so, so while we were fixing it, Fernando helped me fix it. And, and I, when I think of, like, principles and counseling, the Bible, how important is it? I want to give you a natural illustra illustration. So my car catches fire and all the wiring harnesses. I'd never fixed anything like this. This was like so, so far past my pay grade. It was amazing. And so Fernando comes over. We start to assess it. Fernando's a mechanic, for those of you who don't know, and he's, he's a really good mechanic, too. And we, by the time it's done, the whole inside of my car is all taken apart with melted wires everywhere. And I'm like, I looked at him. I said, we never should have done this. This is terrible. Like, and he goes, he goes, why? I go, I can never put this back together. He goes, yeah, but I can. And I go, but, but I can. And now that means I have to need you. <laughs> and he looks at me and he says, you know what you should do? He said, you should really buy the Toyota manual for all the electronics for this car. And me being the cheapskate that I'm in the manual is 40 bucks. I'm like, do we really need it? He goes, yeah, you probably really need it. Then they sent us the manual, and, and he's ah, so glad. He was he's flipping back and forth between pages, like, once this is where the plug is. This is what the plug means. Here's how you test it. And it's all in the book. I had no idea how to read that stuff. I do now because I did it with him. And when he was doing it, I was like, man, without this book, we never would have figured out how to fix this car. Can I help you with something? Without this book, you're never going to figure out how to fix your life. You never will. You never will. I, and I tell people this all the time. The best thing you could ever do is just spend a little time with God every day. Yeah. Little time. Little time in the Word. People go, yeah, but I was reading the book of like Leviticus. It doesn't make sense. Let me help you get out of that book. It does, it's hard to understand. <laughs> go to the Gospel of John. Go to the Psalms. Go to the Proverbs. Go to the New Testament. It's a little easier to understand. And then listen, come to church so you get taught the Bible. Come to midweek service so you get taught the Bible. Man, there's so much preaching online. There's no reason in the world you should be undiscipled. No reason. But if the truth is we can be lazy sometimes. Okay, I'm meddling a little bit. Let's keep going. So, so listen, without that book, we never would have fixed my car. Without this book, you'll never fix your life. See, the counsel of God is actually wonderful. It makes you wonder, like, how did I know that? Because of God. And it makes you full when you wonder like that. Because it's his presence in the middle of all of that. It's really remarkable. So he says, he's the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. Man, I, I love this about God. Like, how, how strong is God? Like, can he make a rock that he can't lift? What a dumb question. <laughs> how strong is he? Like, he's outside of our ability to even understand how prominent and powerful he is. Because there's nothing in our universe that we can contextualize in power like an atom bomb. I don't know. That's pretty powerful. Is God more powerful than that? Well, he spoke and the, the, the universe was created. That sounds pretty powerful to me. That sounds like remarkably powerful. That sounds mighty. What about you guys? That sound mighty to you? Like, like I just think his power far exceeds what we can under Like It means like when it says mighty God, it means the mightiest or the strongest. So say this with me. God is the mightiest. God is the strongest. Listen, if you can get that into your heart and, and live it by faith, you will be shocked at how much it changes your lens of life. You know, I think of, of Bella and Elena both about to go out to YWAM.
And I know that part of this is the journey for them. Like they got to raise a lot of money to go. And I'm sure that they're like, oh my gosh. And, and if they're not, the parents are because we're, we're their backing, right? Like we're like, oh my gosh. And, and we're, we're like, the, but we're, we're looking at the journey. And, and Bella, like last week, she said, man, my biggest fear is like ending up in Canada, you know, getting on the wrong plane. And I think, man, there's all of these things that they're facing. But you know what? God, God isn't going to leave you hanging out like that. I look at the journey they're on and I'm like, those are like peripheral issues. Those are small issues. Reality is if she ended up in Canada, we'd still get her to Australia. But you know what? You can't substitute what God will deposit in both of your hearts. We can't do that. We can't manufacture that. The mighty power of God, we can't do that. Only God can. You could take the most powerful thing you can imagine and God is more powerful than even that. He says, I'm the strongest, I'm the mightiest. Listen, by faith, we would say it this way, that there is nothing that God cannot do and does not desire to do that glorifies him in our lives. And it's so powerful. Like I think of my own journey and the times that I've been really high. How many of you guys have had really high times with God? Like, whoo, this is awesome. How many of you have had really low times with God? Where you're like, whoo, this ain't so awesome. You know what I love about God? He stays right. He's consistent, high or low, good, bad. He's in the middle of it. Nurturing your heart when you're grumbling, celebrating with you when you're successful. I love that about God, that he is mighty enough to do all of those things with us. You know, it, like think like this. When we walk by faith, the, we walk in the fullness of his power. Listen, when we don't walk by faith, it does not make God less powerful. It just means we don't experience it. It's a call to walk by faith. That is part of what he's saying. Listen, I am a mighty God, and I want you to experience. And that happens because we walk in faith. Then he says, I'm an eternal father. Man, man, eternal. Like, like it's kind of funny because even when I looked up the definitions of eternal in all of the Bible dictionaries, they all quantified it with time perpetuity, timelessness, you know, like without beginning or end. And I'm kind of like, okay, those are still measures of time, but God is timeless. But the only way we can contextualize something that's timeless is to attach time to it. So listen, God is saying this, I was your father before there was anything, while there is something, and I'll be your father when there's nothing. Like, he desired to be your dad. You know what's tough about that? Anytime we talk about God being an eternal father, listen, I know in a room like this, many of you didn't have a good father. You might have even had not only not a good father, you might have had a bad father. You might not even know who your father is. But listen, when it comes to God and God being your father, not only does God know you, he chose you. And he is not non-existent. He is present and at hand. Like I think of myself, I had a pretty good dad. How many of you guys had a pretty good dad? If he's sitting next to you, you should raise your hand, by the way. I'm just saying, like, you should raise your hand. If he's pretty, pretty good dad, you should celebrate him. He's a good dad. We'll talk later, dad, but he's a good dad. I had a pretty good dad, but he was not perfect. He wasn't. And as much as I love the positive attributes I got from my dad, there's a few that I got that aren't so good. But you know what else? God is my father. When I get his attributes, all of them are good. You know why? He doesn't possess a bad attribute. What about God is bad? 
I don't know. I think, I, I think I'm too patient. Is anybody ever too patient? I think I'm just being way too kind. Is, is anybody ever too kind? I'm being way too generous. Well, maybe you could spoil your kids a little. I don't know. But I don't think that there's a, a bad attribute that God possesses that we can't grab a hold of, not only for ourselves, but also for our kids. I mean, I think one of my greatest prayers, especially as my kids head into adulthood, is I want to be a better dad to them as adults as I was to them as kids. And, and I think I was an okay dad, maybe not great, better in some areas, not as good, but, but I want to be the best dad I can be to model for them the best God that could be portrayed because I understand that my model is the closest thing that they will see in God to. Like, we make correlations is what I'm saying. But I want to encourage you this. Go past the correlation because God is better than your earthly dad. Amen. Do the best you can. Amen? Amen. So he's a, he's a mighty God. He's an eternal father. And, and he is what? The Prince of Peace. I think if I were honest, this might be my favorite one. Um, how many of you guys, and you don't have to show your hands, but my hand will go up. How many of you struggle with anxiety? By the way, I've never in my lifetime struggled with anxiety until like the last couple of years. If I'm honest, like I just never like, I never really thought in terms of like, this is freaking me out. Like I just don't, I, I would think this, well, that's a tough situation. I got to fix it. That's just kind of how, it, like, got to solve it, got to take care of business. And in the, the recent couple of years, maybe just because I'm getting older, don't anybody say it? <laughs> maybe because I'm getting older, I'm just like, I don't have the energy to go there. This is kind of freaking me out a little. What if I can't fix it? What if I can't solve it? Uh-oh, place your bets, place your, you know, I'm just going, spinning. But what God says is, listen, I'm the prince, I'm, I'm the one who commands stability in your life. Ah, oh, man. You know what I find, and, and this, this isn't my notes, this is just free. This is for y'all and sharing with me my, my own, sharing with you my own journey. And, I, and I'm not saying this because I think I'm more accomplished than any of you. Just sharing with you how it works in my heart, and I think it probably works similarly in many of yours. So when I get overwhelmed, how many get overwhelmed? I get overwhelmed, you know, stuff, life, finances there, you know, wife being crazy and you got to put up with it. And I'm not, I'm not telling on her. I'm more crazy than her. Let's keep it real. But, but I'm just saying like life. And then I, it, anytime I go too long without just sitting with God and saying, show me my heart, search my heart and know it. I, actually, Tom, I think that was one of the, the text messages you sent out. Pray this with me today. God, search my heart and know it. When I do that, you know what happens? I get real clarity in what's going on in me. You, like you ever, married people, talk to me. You ever notice that you tell on your spouse and God points it at you? What's that about? Like I didn't come to talk about me, I came to talk about her. She's an issue or he's an issue. And you sit down with God and go, when are you gonna solve this issue? And he goes, let me talk to you about you. And you're like, this isn't about me, they got issues. God, you and I know this because we're like this. And he goes, no. That's actually not how it works. Anytime you go to God, he's going to talk to you about your heart. And if he does talk about your spouse, he'll talk about how to love them better, not about where they're wrong. Like I love something I heard. You know how you can know if the devil's attacking you? You'll hear yous a lot. You shouldn't have to put up with this. You shouldn't have to put it... You know, if you were, were stronger, you could accomplish this. If you, if you, it's always accusatory. That's how you know. And when you go to pray, particularly for your spouse, God will say, we, we have some stuff to work together. 
I want you to grow. You, you don't hear the use. You hear empowering. You hear embracing. See, when I get into the word, back to what I was going to say, I got a little bit on the side there. When I sit with God in the middle of a crisis and I read the word, this is what it does. It becomes alive and active. And it stops becoming about the person that I'm praying for, whether it's my spouse or coworkers or, or things going on or people that I'm counseling. It stops becoming about them and it starts becoming much more about this. How can I make you more like me so that you can show them who I am? By the way, you know that's part of your job? Christ in you, the hope of glory? That, that's actually what that means. That you can demonstrate his glory because he's in you. That's what that means. So when I sit with God and I let him kind of massage my heart with the word, I find things about myself that he's changing, not about you guys. I find that he makes me more patient, makes me more calm. Listen, he makes me more at peace. He brings a soundness, soundness, stability to my inner man. Does this happen to anybody else? Help me. See, this is, this is what's called a relationship with God, you guys. It's not knowing the scriptures. It's knowing the God of those scriptures. It's being able to sit with them and let them mature and grow. It's, it's amazing. Jesus says, man, I'm the prince, the commander of soundness and completeness inside of you. Man, peace is hard to find, isn't it? Christmas is busy, isn't it? Help me out. Like stores are nuts. I know a lot of people are shopping online, and stuff, but it's crazy. And, and we're spending money and we were like, oh, we're freaking out. Like, oh my gosh. And, and my daughter's coming home tonight. Julia's coming home. Woo, can't wait. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a week long. Well, actually a month long party, but she's actually bringing her boyfriend. Anyway, says that kid, I'm going to meet a boy. You better stay away from my daughter. No, I'm playing. Actually excited to meet those of you who know me for a long time, I'm only playing a little. And you know, I'm dying. <laughs> you know, when we talk about peace at Christmas, we celebrate the Prince of Peace. Amen. That's what we celebrate. Mm-hmm. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. men. Why, watch, add the last part. With whom he is pleased. See, one of the biggest gaps that happened in sin was we thought that God stopped taking pleasure in us. That's what we thought. And the Prince of Peace says, man, I am in it with you. I love you. Like all this crazy, like Christmas is wonderful. It's busy. It's chaotic. There's gifts. It's exciting. But man, don't lose who Christ is in the middle of the busyness. Don't lose it. Busyness is like counterproductive to spirituality. And I, and I just want you to not miss the season. Like I found myself getting caught up in the stuff. I just want to encourage you, don't get caught up in this stuff. Remember, he's the Prince of Peace. So Jesus, this is what Jesus offers. He's a wonderful counselor. What does that mean? He's going to give you clarity. He's going to give you direction. He's going to speak to what you need. How many of you guys need God to speak to what you need? That's what the promise is. I'm going to speak to you in what you need. I mean, that's glorious. That means the counsel will be precise. It'll be accurate. It'll be wholesome. It'll be life. It'll be good. That's what he promised. I will be the wonderful counselor to you. What about this? He promised to be mighty God. Man, he said this, strength to walk in my fullness. How many of you guys want to walk in the fullness of God? Come on, like really. Like you want to know him in all aspects of your life. You go to work, you want to see his hand on your life. In your homes, you want to see it personally when you're with him. You want to see his fullness, his hand on your life. 
See, there's this sense of like engagement, interaction, like fullness by faith. I want to walk in his strength. That's what he promised. I'm a mighty God. I'll give you the ability to walk in my strength. You know, like those pesky little scriptures that say stuff like, in your weakness, he is made what? It's okay for you to be weak, leaning into his strength. That's what he promised. I'm going to be the mighty God to you. The eternal father, man, like I said just a second ago, man, can there be too much patience? Can there be too much love, too much kindness? You've got to think like this. When he says, I'm an eternal father, you're part of the family. You're in the family. You're, you're his kid. You're, you're part of the family. He's saying this, I'm your father. I know we all have earthly fathers. And like I said, some of them are wonderful, some not as much. But God is always wonderful, and he's the prince of peace. He's the one who will restore, bring absolute, like, connection with you. Like, peace is kind of interesting when it comes to God. It's not just the absence of strife. Like, we say, like, the United States is at peace right now because we're not in any active wars, well, that we know of. Anyways, we're not in any active wars. But when we talk about peace with God, that is the presence of God. Like Jesus said something like this, my peace I give you, my peace I give you. I don't give peace as the world gives peace. What he was talking about was himself. So even in the midst of craziness in our world, he says, I'm peaceful and I'll take up residence in you. And I'll, I'll show you I'm a good counsel. I'm a mighty God. I'm an eternal father and I'll keep you stable. I'll make you complete and sound on, on the inside. Man, I'll tell you, if I'm honest with you guys, I've been praying this for myself a lot lately. God, why, why do I feel anxious? I've never, I've never felt that way. Because, oh, you're leaning to your, you're, you're realizing that you can't do everything. You're, James, you're realizing you're not God. Like, oh, I never thought I was God. Really? I'm like, okay. And you know when God says stuff like that to you? He's right. Most of us don't think we are the thing that we're failing in until God says, you're kind of taking this on and I'm not, I don't want you to. So I want to encourage you, lean into God, not yourself. That's really all I just said. Lean into God, not yourself. So the end of this passage is, is really powerful, interesting. And I want to read to you a verse. And we're going to close with this. And we're going to take um, communion together. But uh, again, this is Isaiah chapter 9. And it's, and it's just the last tagline of the verse. This is verse 7. And I'm going to read the whole thing. We're only going to look at the very last. He says, that there will be... No end to the increase of his government or of peace, okay? We're going to talk about those things next week. On the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it, uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And then this, 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 the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The zeal, the, the passion for his possession. So you all know that God owns you. Yeah, say, let's say it again. Y'all know that God owns you. Yes. Like you're his possession. Yes. By the way, it's not like ownership, like you're mine. It's like you're mine. Like, like think like this, like Heather is my wife. She is mine. When another guy looks at her, I'm like, no, that, that's mine. You, you guys have husbands and wives. Somebody else looked, you're like, no, no, no. She's mine. He's mine. You don't get to look at them like that. That is actually literally what this word means. So the best way that we can define the zeal of God is to analogize it with, with marriage. 
God looks at us with the same passion that we look at our spouses with or somebody that we really care for. But here, here look, the reality is God's able to do that without sin. Like there have been times I've gotten uptight about stuff because somebody's looking at my, and that's not what was happening. Because I have jealousy that's not pure like God's jealousy is pure. But God said, man, I have zeal. I have jealousy. I have envy. Like I want to protect what we have. That's what God says. And so all of this like wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. I'm going to protect that because it's good for you. Oh, man, so important. So important that when God, man, come on, you guys. You ever feel like God is on your heels? Like you ever feel like, just leave me alone. Like I just want to do what I want to do. I'm not going to go nuts or crazy. I'm not going off the deep end. Just leave me. Anybody ever feel like that? Well, I've got one person who doesn't. Man, I need to be you, dude. I'm serious. Uh, sometimes I struggle. And then I think this. God says, I will never leave you alone because I'm passionate for you, you belong to me. It'd be the same thing. Like if we ignored our spouses, they'd be like, you don't care. God says, you will never wonder whether or not I care. You'll never wonder. I never wonder whether God cares or not. Now, there's times I, I push away. There's times I act like we act sometimes. But the reality is God says, man, I want you to be so secure in who I am that my, my zeal or my passion will never, ever, ever being questioned. Like, how many of you guys are sports fans? Come on, go Cowboys. I know it's a wishful thought. It's been, been three decades since we've gone to the show, and I'm still hopeful. Like, I heard one commentator say this, the Cowboys are the best team on paper. I'm like, yeah, that's the problem. It's only on paper. My, my brother-in-law asked me, do you think that they'll go to the show? And I'm like, you know, no. I don't. Would I bet on it? No. Do I like them? Yes. Do I want them to? Yes. And then I went with Tom Safuentes. We all went to the, like he and I went to the Rams game, Rams and Cowboys. I walk in and there are people, man, they're all garbed up. They got hats and jersey and like big bucks, like hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of jersey clothing. And I'm looking, I'm like, man, these people are passionate. I was afraid to wear my Cowboys jersey because I didn't want to get jumped. And then I got there and I went, there are more Cowboys fans here than there are Rams. L.A. is so confusing. But I looked at all this and I thought, man, these people are passionate. They're like going nuts. You watch the game. Somebody scores their high five and strangers. They go nuts. And I think, man, comes to God and we don't do that. And then God says, yeah, but I do it for you. And you got to think like this, man. Like God is your cheerleader. He's in your corner all the time. So like you see people wearing crazy garb. Like I just get this picture like God shows up to the game called James, right? And he's got the James hat on and he's got the James shirt. He's even got my glasses on. I'm here for you. You guys remember like, like with the Lakers, Kurt Rambis and everybody like the Ram, they all had big black glasses. It was hilarious. That's what God is for you. He shows up in your corner as your biggest cheerleader. Listen, because he's passionate for you. You're like, how is this Christmas a baby being born? Because this was God's demonstration of his passion for you. I'm going to sacrifice my own son by making him vulnerable as a baby. So you'll know I'm crazy about you. He's crazy about you. You know, I like, I don't know. I look around the room and I get like, I look at Ramona. I'm like, what is, what is God's jersey look like for Ramona? 
it's got to have something to do with food because, man, she can cook. For me, like baseball cap, I don't know, maybe a fishing pole too. I, what does yours look like? But God is passionate about you. And I don't want you to miss this idea that he is your greatest cheerleader. There is no one else in this earth that is more for you than God is for you. No one. You've got loved ones in your life. They're cheering for you, but not like God is. They're cheering. They can't empower you. They're cheering. They can't counsel you the way God can. They can give good stuff, but they can't give what God gives. And God said this, my zeal for you will accomplish my purpose in your life. That's what he's saying. What I've designed you to be and do, I am going to do that in you. Just agree with it. See, that's where walking by faith is just so, so powerful. See, God is jealous for you, but his jealousy is not tainted by sin. So listen, I want to read you a, a scripture out of Ezekiel 39 just to emphasize this idea of jealousy, and then we're going to take communion together, and we're going to call it a day together. But Ezekiel 39, verse 25, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, he says, I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. So they'd gone into captivity. God said, listen, I'm going to restore everything they lost, and I will be jealous for my holy name. What does that mean? Part of the reason that God makes you successful is because he's got to be true to himself. I don't know about you, but that gives me a lot of comfort because I make mistakes. Anybody else make mistakes? Come up way, way short, do dumb things, get in all kinds of trouble, and then I say, Jesus, help, and he does. That's what's amazing. Like, I'm not just saying that to be excited. Like, it blows my mind how dumb I am and how faithful he is. How many times I make mistakes and he still comes through. And please, I don't think low of myself. Don't, don't somebody write me a message. You shouldn't call yourself dumb. I don't think I'm dumb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, sometimes my actions are less becoming than what God would want them to be. That's what I mean. So are yours. And when we do that, that's when he comes in and says, man, I'm all about making you just powerful. And he said, man, because of my name, I want to make my reputation stand true in you. So when you look at this prophecy, you think, oh, wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. This is God saying, I'm going to show you that I'm really God, that I'm really God. I'm going to show you over and over. Now, just by show of hands, how many times has God shown you over and over through your life? And just never gives up. Never. That's amazing to me. See, that one of the ways you grab a hold of faith is you remember how he's shown up. It's called testimony. That's how you grab it. And you keep reminding yourself, this was crazy then, but God. That happened over there, but God. And every time you add the but God, something in your heart goes, God hasn't forgotten. He's jealous for me. He wants my success more than I want my success. That's humbling to me. But it's also really really powerful. So listen, I want to call up Vic in the worship team. We're going we're gonna to go ahead and prepare to take communion together. And we already spent some time in prayer, so I'm not going to do any altar ministry, but I just want to frame up communion just a little bit. Now, I've already mentioned to you like some of the attributes of God, this idea of him being a wonderful counselor. So as we take communion this morning, maybe you need the counsel of God. Maybe that's something you need or want. Maybe you need God to speak into the circumstances that you're in and direct you. 
direct you. So as we prepare to take communion, maybe that's your focus. Maybe that's how you say to God, I need your wisdom. I need clarity. I need your counsel. You know, maybe you need him to be the mighty God, the one who's all powerful to you. I, I don't know what it looks like in your life, but I do know this, that communion is a time for you to stop and say to God, this is what I need. Hey, the guys are walking around. If you need communion, if you don't have a cup, raise your hand and, and they'll pass it out as we're getting ready uh, to do communion. Maybe you need God to demonstrate his, his fatherhood to you, that he's your dad, that he's intimate and close with you. And maybe you need peace. And if I were honest, I bet you every one of us in the room need peace. Every one of us do. And Jesus said, I'm the one who will command stability. That's literally what it means. I'll command stability in your life. But we have to ask him to do that. We have to invite him, if you will. And that's what's so powerful about communion, that we have the opportunity to stop and do that. You know... In the recent couple of years, I've had several times where I feel like I lost heart. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Like, not like you stopped loving God, nothing like that. But where you're just kind of like, I don't have it to give. Uh, you ever felt that? I don't have it to give. Like, God, I know this is what you would want. I just, I'm, I'm weak, I'm tired, I'm worn out. It's been too long a season, too hard. Does this ever happen to anybody else? Where you just, man, just, those are really, really tough seasons. And, and as deep as these times are, they will challenge your trust in God uh, also at the deepest levels. So even though they're hard, they're actually good. It's not a bad thing when your faith gets tested at the deepest levels. And man, I've struggled with God in so many different ways and in, in, in this particularly this recent window. And what I want to say to you is that, man, as much as you've struggled, God is still jealous for you. Like what's crazy is, let me, let me say it crassly, even though you've cheated on him, he's still coming after you. His love never goes away. He's like Hosea the prophet who had a, a harlot as a wife, and he just kept buying her back, kept getting her back. And that was a picture of how God behaves with us, that no matter how far off we go, he never gives up on us. He comes and he gets us back. So I was in a spot that was really like deep and hard and I was kind of frustrated. And, and I said, God, you have to come through. This is what I said to him. This is a good prayer, by the way. God, you have to come through because if you don't, then your promises fail. And if your promises fail, then you're not really God. And I don't believe that to be true. I need you to come through. You know what's interesting? When I did that with him, he came through, but not in the manner I thought he would. So I'm trying to encourage you, keep your heart tender to how God wants to do it. Keep your heart open to how he might meet you because the thing that you're asking for, he might meet you in a very different fashion than what you thought he was going to do. I found this, that deep faith comes when you find God in the deepest struggles. You know, there's times I've said to God, man, I don't want to be deeper. It's too hard. <laughs> if I'm just honest, it's too hard. He just says, let me work in you. 
just trust me, let me work in you. Like, but God, this is painful and it's hard. And I know, I'm, I know some of you in the room, you're like, I get what you're saying right now. For others of you, you might be like, man, I don't know what he's talking about. Praise the Lord. But I do know this, that if you go through deep struggle, you come, up, you come out with deep faith. God promises he'll keep you, by the way. He promises. And, and that's what I was saying to him, God, if you fail here, then, then this is all a farce. You're not real. He showed me, you know that's not true. I know that's not true. But that is how the devil will challenge you, that God is not real. And I want to encourage you that those moments that seem the darkest are the moments where God is most intensely powerful, that he'll show up and he'll remind you. Listen, let me say it like this. Don't measure God in the struggle. Measure him in the outcome. If you measure him in the struggle, you'll get a wrong picture of who he is. Measure him in the outcome. So listen, listen, as we get ready to take communion, I want you to look for his strength. I want you to look for his peace. I want you to look for his provision. I want you to lay your heart before God in a way that is your issue with God and invite him in to change what's going on inside of you. So listen, we're going to do one song real quick. We're going to take communion together and then I'm going to dismiss you. So you don't need to stand. I, I actually would prefer that you stay intimate with the Lord right now. Say, God, what's going on in my heart? What's happening inside of me? Search my heart and know it and show me what's going on. I feel it in this room. Holy Spirit move. Cause when you have your way, something has to break. Tear down every lie You set the wrong thing right Cause when you have your way Something has to break Something has to
So as you prepare your communion cup and you, know, you can peel back the top layer and get the cracker and the bottom layer is the cup. And if you're at home, you can gather some stuff together to take communion with us. You know, coffee, a pastry, a piece of bread, doesn't matter what it is. You're just using it uh, symbolically to celebrate communion. You know, when I think of communion, and this is what I want you to consider, imagine that you're going to coffee with a friend and it's somebody you really trust. You know them to be loyal. You know them to be faithful. You know them to give, give good, godly, wise counsel. And you're sitting across the table at your favorite coffee joint and you're about to have a really honest conversation about life. Well, that's communion. That's what it is. The thing is, is you're sitting across the table from Jesus. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the eternal father, the prince of peace. What's crazy is you're sharing with him what he already knows. You're saying, man, I'm struggling with anxiety or anger, or my marriage, finances, whatever. I am struggling. You're telling him what he already knows. But that confession, that admission, releases all the possibility of heaven. It's what brings the clarity and the strength and the security and the soundness. So take that moment, just a few seconds, and tell him, this is why I'm here, Jesus. Jesus, I want to thank you for the intimacy that we find in communion. The into me you see. God, we're grateful that you know our concerns before we express them. You know our hearts before we open them. And when we do, there's an engagement, a depth of relationship that surpasses anything else we know. And it brings about all the possibility of the rule of God in our hearts. Jesus, we're thankful that this is the very thing that you did for your disciples. The Last Supper, you took bread, you gave thanks. You broke it and you said, man, have this kind of communion with me over and over and over. Celebrate what I've done for you. So God, that's what we're doing this morning. We're celebrating what you've done for us. Go ahead and eat. Afterwards, Jesus takes the cup and he blesses the cup. And he said, this particular cup is going to be a per perpetual covenant. I mean, to kind of use the coffee analogy, like it's a bottomless cup. It's bottomless. You can keep getting refills. He said, this blood that I'm going to shed, this cup that we're going to drink together, represents my sacrifice to cover your sins forever and ever and ever. So Jesus, we want to say thank you that you did that for us, that you took the cup, you blessed it, and you said when you get together, take and drink 
and do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and drink. Why don't you stand with me? Let's worship together. I believe you get me to it. I believe you do it, do it right now. Something has to be. I believe you lead me through it. I believe you'll get me to it. I believe that you will do it right now. Something has to be. thank you for your faithfulness, your favor, for the Christmas season and all that it means to us. You know, I just want to say over you all, um, I just feel the pleasure of God. He's very pleased with hearts that are desiring and hungry for him. He's just pleased. I want to encourage you that he loves it when we're humble before him, loves it. So God, let all of your attributes flow in each one of us. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the eternal father, the prince of peace. God, make yourself more real to us today than you've ever been, than you've ever been. We pray this in the name that's above all names. And that is the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, hey, I love you guys. Have a, a great rest of your Sunday. We'll see those of you that are going to make it next Sunday on Christmas. Otherwise, have a great rest of your Sunday. God bless.